We're going to continue a study that we began a couple of months ago of, uh, in the book of Exodus. And you may be wondering, why haven't you asked us to turn there? Because it's just, we're only going to read one verse today, and I'm going to put it on the screen. But we're going to be referring to several verses from Psalm 92. The series that we've been involved in is called The Exit, A Journey to Freedom, because the book of Exodus is about God leading his people out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, into freedom. And it's meant for, the Bible says it's meant for us to read the book of Exodus, excuse me, Exodus, <laughs> Exodus, <clears throat> uh, and see there an example for us and what God wants to do in our lives, setting us free to be everything that he intended for us to be, everything he created us to be and experience everything he created us to experience. And some of us know what it's like to feel restrained from that life. And God wants to liberate us into that freedom. So that's what we've been talking about. And as the children of Israel were set free from their slavery in Egypt, and on their way to the promised land led by Moses through the desert, God brought them to Mount Sinai. And there he gave to them the Ten Commandments. And that's where we are in our study of the book of Exodus, at chapter 20, where God, the maker of all things, carved into stone. God did this himself. I don't know... If how? I can't even imagine that. But God, it says we're told, or we're told, God carved into stone these Ten Commandments. And they are not the Ten Suggestions. God meant for these to be preserved, to be uh, remembered, to be obeyed. And not because he wanted to make our lives hard because he wanted to bless us. And so I like to refer to the Ten Commandments as the compassionate commandments because that's what they are. God being compassionate towards us and giving us some things that will uh, further his blessing in our life. The first of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other God before me. And we've been memorizing the Ten Commandments using the ten fingers on our two hands. And I asked you for number one, using your thumb on your right hand, close your left eye, look at a, at a light and block it out with a thumb. And that will remind you, don't put anything in front of God. Your index finger of your right hand, hold it up like that and memorize, or excuse me, rem, uh, imagine. That's the word I'm looking for. Imagine. <laughs> like a carved image of, like a, a totem pole or something like that, a face on it. And the second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself the carved image. Don't, make, don't put a face on God. Don't try to make God what you think he should be. The third of the commandments is the one we talked about last week. We remember with the middle finger on our right hand, and you need to be careful because people use their middle finger of their right hand in a profane gesture. So don't do that. But that will remind you that the third commandment is we don't take the name of the Lord in vain. We don't use the Lord's name in either a vain or empty way or a profane way. And we talked at length about that last week. Today we come to the fourth of the commandments. And the ring finger on your right hand really is the seventh from the end, right? If we're coming from our right hand to our left. And that reminds us of the seventh day. One day in seven, the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The baby finger on your right hand reminds us of mother and father. Baby finger, honor your father and mother. The pinky on your left hand, if you 
go like this, you can kind of imagine a, a dagger or something like that. Don't kill. The ring finger of your left hand, some of us have a band right there, a ring of some sorts like I do, that reminds us we are uh, to honor the, the institution of marriage. Uh, don't commit adultery. Uh, the middle finger on your left hand, if you go like this, you can kind of imagine don't steal, which is the eighth commandment. Don't steal. The index finger on your left hand, if you're pointing at people, that reminds us don't bear false witness. And then if you go like this, you can make a C with your left hand. That reminds us don't covet. And that brings us, as I said today, to our study of the fourth commandment, which really has to do with renewal, renewal. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. If you've ever been to a concert or a play, you've experienced intermission, right? The place in the middle of the performance where they draw the curtain and the performers exit and so does the audience. Usually they use the restroom or stretch your legs or get something to eat or drink. <clears throat> Pardon me. And intermission is, is that break that allows a few moments to reflect on what's happened. You know, if it's a play and you're thinking back through the, the plot and starting to begin to prepare yourself for what's going to come, it creates that, that moment where you're being set up with anticipation and hope for what's going to possibly take place in nec uh, next. If you're in a concert, you can think back about the performance that you've experienced and you can talk with friends about wasn't that great and you just remind yourself of what you experienced and your heart gets set up for what's next. The word Sabbath in the Old Testament actually means literally intermission, intermission. It's a gift from God to us. He didn't give Sabbath to us to make life miserable. He gave it to us to make it wonderful. He made it. God created in the, in the natural world a process of renewal. Right now, as we're in the heart of springtime, everything is in bloom. All the trees and flowers and those of us who suffer with pollen allergies and so on, we know this very well. There will be a time, though, later in this year when though all of the the plants and animals begin to settle in for a period of inactivity. And that's just part of the natural cycle. God created that in the world. He made that. He ma and we are not an exception to that. In fact, God modeled for us that this was something he intended human beings to um, not only with, by giving us the fourth commandment, but long before that, in creation, he meant for us to see that this is important for human beings because the Bible says on the seventh day of creation, God rested. Why? Was he tired? No. He was modeling something for us. He wanted for us to understand this is part of what it means to be fully alive. Is that one day in seven, you rest. And it allows you to reflect on what's gone before and be, be in the process of preparation and expectation for what's to come. Intermission. Now, <clears throat> religion has ruined uh, the Sabbath. Jesus was walking with his disciples one day 
through a wheat field or a grain field of some sorts. And uh, it was lunchtime, and his disciples grabbed a couple of heads of grain in their hands, and they were rubbing it like this, and they would blow on it, and the, the chaff, the outer part of the grains of uh, of the wheat or whatever it was that they had blows away and what's left then is the nutritious part and they would eat that. They ate that. Um, and they got in serious trouble by the religious elite that day. Uh, and not because they took someone else's grain because that actually was part, that was completely legal. It was part of the Mosaic law that if you're passing through someone's uh, field, you could take what you needed for, for a meal on your way. It was part of the deal. I mean, you couldn't go in there with your sickle and start harvesting your neighbor's crop, but you could take what you needed. That was part of the deal. So they weren't in trouble for that. What they were in trouble for was breaking the Sabbath, the act of rubbing that grain in their hand and blowing away the chaff was considered harvesting by the, by the religious elite. And they had, listen, the scribes, the rabbinic leaders through, through Jewish history have and I don't, I'm not pointing the finger at the Jews because we always, as human beings, this is what we do with what God commands us. We turn them into laws that weigh heavy on us. And that's not what God intended. Jesus said on that day, he said to the scribes and Pharisees that were having such a hard time with them, he said, look, you guys, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man doesn't serve the Sabbath. God gave us the Sabbath for our blessing. And he was trying to establish something that a lot of us need to get straight about this command and all of the commands, that they're from God for our benefit and for our good. But the, there are volumes, literally reams of debate and articulation and clarification about what constitutes as work on the Sabbath. And the, the Jewish laws, the, the, the interpretations of the, of the scriptural commands, like I said, full, fill rooms full of books. And I, re I was reading some in Wikipedia this past week about some of this, and they, the guy made a comment. He said, it's in, I can, I'm gonna talk to you about some of the Sabbath uh, restrictions but he said, I cannot. There's no possible way that I can describe everything in perfect detail. And without the, all of the information, and even with it, it would be impossible to obey the Sabbath. There's just, religion has loaded it down with so much stuff. In fact, the question was asked, well, on the Sabbath, can you pick up your child? I mean, literally, I'm not kidding about this. So debate went on and on and on. Can you pick up, is that work? Well, and they decided it's okay. It's not work if you pick up your child unless that child has a rock in his pocket. Because then you're, not, you're picking up a rock when you pick up your child and that's work. Nuts. Women couldn't look in a mirror because they might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. That would be work. You couldn't pour water on yourself. You couldn't take a shower because in the process of that water flowing off you onto the floor, you might accidentally clean the floor. And that would be work. You can't do that. You can't spit in the dirt. I'm not sure that's the best thing to be doing anyway. But you couldn't spit in the dirt because the process of that spittle hitting the ground might 
uh, aerate it. My, like, like, uh, they interpreted it like plowing a field. Or it might, it might um, provide a moisture for some seed in the ground. It'd be like watering your crops. You can't do that. That's work on the Sabbath, so you can't, you can't do that. You can't climb a tree because if you did, you might break a branch, and that would be like harvesting. You know, so that's, that's work. You can't do it. If you have a bowl full of peanuts and raisins, and what you want are the raisins... As long as you reach into the mixture and pull out the ones you want, the raisins, you're good. You're okay. But if you start taking the peanuts out so you leave just the raisins because the raisins is what you really want, then that's, harvest, that's um, winnowing. It's like winnowing the grain. If you take grain and you separate what you don't want, the chaff, from what you want, that's work. So <laughs> you get the point? I mean, it's nuts. And this is what we do. We do this with God's commands, and it's crazy. So I don't know what your history is with the Sabbath or Sabbath keeping, but it isn't that. It isn't God saying, oh, here's another thing you're not doing right. No, no. God wants to bless you and bless me. But can I just tell you, and I don't mean this facetiously. I'm not joking when I say this. If you want to know what my deepest, darkest, blackest sin is, it's this right here. Breaking the Sabbath. And I'm ashamed of that. And I'm the one, I'm the one that suffers because I don't. I'm not alone in this. I mean, I realize that most people think that all I, you know, all I, I work maybe two hours a week on Sunday. <laughs> I realize that, and I've made my peace with it a long time ago. But I really, I put in 50 to 60 hours every week in work. And, he does. Let me tell you. <laughs> and I don't need to. I tell myself I do. But God will never give us a command we can't keep. Never. So there's a whole lot I could talk to you about, about that, but I, I, I'm grateful if you want to listen in this morning, but really I'm just preaching to myself. And that's one of the benefits of this job, is I can stand in front of people and I can talk to myself and be held accountable, and that's, that's a pretty good thing. So I'm, I'm not speaking to you today from a position of having this one nailed far from it. I, Sunday's a work day for me, and so I typically, I've told myself over the years, well, Monday's my Sabbath, but I rarely take it. Rarely. Because I'll wake up Monday morning, and I'll, like you, I'll start thinking of all the things that I need to catch up on. And you can't. You can never catch up. You can't. It's impossible. So at some point along the line, and I'm praying that today will be this for me, and maybe for you too, we have to just decide that's all it is, is a decision. I'm going to obey God. Because he wants to give me something. All right, so what do you do with a Sabbath? I mean, you just sit around and twiddle your thumbs? Stop for a minute. Nobody move. Be as quiet as you can.
Now think with me. What would it be like if one day in seven the world stopped? Can't even imagine it. But what if it did? How different would life be? You couldn't go to the gas station fill up your car. You couldn't go to the store because they're not open. You couldn't go to work to try to catch up on the uh, stuff you didn't finish the week before because it'd be locked and closed and no one would expect you to be there and so they wouldn't give you a key. Everything stops. I mean, we, we, it's, it's not ever going to happen. It's not, we can't even imagine any possibility of that. But can I tell you that God, when he gave this command to his people, he meant for them to live that way. That one day in seven boom, it's over. The slate is clean. You reflect on what's happened and begin to set your, your sights on what might be coming and enjoy the moment. And he gives us some instruction here in, in Psalm 92 about what that would be like. Verse 1. It is good. Well, by the way, I, I never read these things to you, uh, but the title of the Psalms are part of the psalm. And the title of this psalm is A Psalm, you'll see it there, A Psalm, A Song for the Sabbath Day. This is supposed to teach us about what Sabbath could be like, and most of us have no clue. He says here, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. Listen, number one for Sabbath-keeping is worship. Worship. Now, you don't get to have Dave and the band come to your house on, on the Sabbath, and so you're going to have to figure out some other ways to do that. But can I tell you, worship is far more than just singing songs. Worship is about me just letting my heart begin to soar before the, the great king of glory and tell him what I think of him and how appreciative I am of him and reflecting on those thoughts, not for his benefit, but for mine. Worship, worship, worship. Goes on to say in verse 4, For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O oh Lord, how great are your works. The second big component of Sabbath keeping is rest. Resting in the fact that God has done the work. And he's not raising irresponsible sons and daughters, but he does not need me. <laughs> rest. In his work. He's quite capable of taking care of things. Then it goes on to say in verse, uh, the last part of verse 5, your thoughts are very deep. The third uh, prescription for Sabbath is reflection. Where is it in your life where you have some time to just think deeply about God? Oh, how restorative. How fulfilling and rewarding just that one action is. Sabbath keeping, God intends for it to include reflection on him and who he is, how he loves us, what he's doing in our lives. 
Let's talk a little bit about the power of Sabbath. The power of Sabbath. Verse 6. Oh, excuse me, not verse 6. Verse 10. Verse 10. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. And I understand that that verse <laughs> may not seem like it relates to any of us in here <laughs> unless you happen to be, I don't know, bovine or something. But <clears throat> the word horn there simply means strength. But my strength you have exalted like a wild ox. When we, when we take God up on his um, promises, on, on his heart towards us and giving us this commandment, we find that there is renewed strength. In fact, it, it, the Bible says that they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I don't know about you, but I often feel weary. Well, duh! I'm burning the candle at both ends, and I'm wondering why I'm weary and exhausted. When I simply obey the command of God, it gives time for him to restore my strength. It says in the last half of verse 10, I have been anointed with fresh oil. And this talks about renewed joy. In a week from today, I'll be going with my son to our family cabin in Southern California to do some work down there for a couple of days. And uh, that cabin is at an elevation of 7,000 feet, and that's high enough where the air is very dry. When I go there, i got to make sure that I take chapstick and lotion for my hands. You know, lotion for my hands. You know. <laughs> Because I'll, it dries me out quickly. Um, and when, you know, this was written, uh, for the most part, to people who lived in a pretty arid climate. And so having the opportunity to, you know, put some fresh oil on your skin, your face. Wow, that, that wasn't good right there. Uh, or on, if you had hair, you put it on your hair. It would restore the sheen, the the elasticity of your skin. It'd be the kind of thing you do to prepare for a party. And it says here that when I am keeping the Sabbath, it, it's like that. It's like a fresh oil upon dry, a, a dry life. Bringing uh, back to, to flexibility and sparkle and shine the, you know, what God intended in terms of the joy of living. And then verse 11 is a little curious. Give me a moment to kind of work this out with you. It says, My eye has, uh, also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. Now when you, most of you, when you're, if you're reading a Bible there, those words, my desire, it's, they're in there twice in that verse. Those words, my desire, will be italicized. And the reason is that uh, these words were added. Whenever you see uh, those uh, you know, words in italics, usually that is uh, letting us know that these words have been added to help us understand the text, the grammar of the Hebrew and so on, so that it makes sense to us in English. And that's a helpful thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to uh, throw any um, or, or you know, put the, the translation of the Bible you have there in your hands in a sort of poor light. That's a helpful thing. But in this case, it kind of gets in the way. Because what's really being said there is when I 
in keeping the Sabbath, when I am remembering the Sabbath and to keep it holy, my eye uh, has seen my enemies. That's really what it's saying. And my ears hear the wicked. Dear one, as a follower of Christ, you are target one of, the, of our adversary, the devil, and he is always probing your life for places where he can mess with you and mess you up. And he loves to sneak up on us. And when we're frantic in the pace of life, burning the candle at both ends and not doing what the Lord has said we, we should do in terms of remembering the Sabbath, we start to become very insensitive to the strategies of hell working against us. And it's an amazing thing what happens when we simply obey the gift receive the gift of intermission it starts to build some space in our lives where that sensitivity returns and we can begin to be aware of the strategies that are beginning to unfold against us so that we can more often than not win the battles that were the spiritual battles that we're engaged in it's very important We'll finish off talking about the promise of Sabbath. Promise of Sabbath. Verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You know, palm trees will grow, grow anywhere. They will grow anywhere. In fact, they'll grow where you don't want them to grow. We had to cut one down out here in the parking lot the other day because it just grew and we didn't bother with it. And before we knew it, it was six feet tall. You know, it was going to take over out there. So we had to have it cut down. But the point is, they'll grow where there's no moisture. You can't imagine anything growing desert, sand, palm tree. It says here that when we are honoring God with the Sabbath even in the driest seasons of life. You'll grow. And it goes on to say that the righteous are like the cedar. Now, cedar is a relative of the redwood tree. They, they are very similar cousins. And most of us know that redwood and cedar are used in construction, home construction, and uh, uh, it's particularly useful for structures that are going to be exposed to weather. There are properties of that wood that resist bugs and termites and, and weathering, and, and it's very you know, sturdy stuff. And these trees, the redwood trees and the cedars, you know, they, they grow tall and wide. They'll last for centuries. And one time I was taking a train ride through the redwoods and there was a guy kind of giving us a little bit of a tour. He's speaking over a microphone telling us different, pointing out different sites and he's, he drew our attention to the redwood trees and he said, you know, some of these trees have been here for centuries, some thousands of years. And he said, you know, in that period of time, it's not likely that any of them have avoided being hit by lightning. They probably, all of them have been hit by lightning at some point in their lifetime." And he said, in fact, and this startled me. I, I think it kind of passed over everybody else's head. But he said, in fact, a lot of them are, are still smoldering right now. Get this. They were hit by lightning. They're still on fire, but they're growing. <laughs> the Bible says that Sabbath keeping creates an environment in my life where you can hit me with lightning. And I'm going to still grow. 
Take your best shot. Because of what Sabbath does in, in strengthening and restoring and securing my life, I, I can stand anything. Goes on to say, um, those who, verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. When I decide to plant myself in the truth and the blessing of Sabbath, it's as though my roots go right down into the very courts of God and I flourish. I flourish. It's talking about vitality there. Vitality. Some of us know what it's like to just get through the day. And that's our whole goal. Not experience a vitality of life. But that's what God means for us. Finally, it says in verse 14, they shall still bear fruit in old age. And can I tell you, that means a whole lot to me these days. <laughs> there was a time in my life when it didn't mean so much, but trust me, you'll get there. You'll get there. And I want to be per a person who stops ignoring the gift of God embedded in the Sabbath and be someone who experiences what this says about fruitfulness in old age. It says they shall be fresh and flourishing. There was this guy named Caleb. I'm sure many of you have heard his story. He, and, he was among 12 spies that were sent out. When the children of Israel moved from Mount Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments, it was shortly after that, relatively shortly after that, that they came to the threshold of the land that God had promised them. And they sent 12 spies in to figure out what they're going to have to do to conquer that land that God had given them. The, the spies came back. Ten of them said, oh, we can't do this. There's, there's giants there, walled cities. We can't do this. We need to go back to Egypt. Two guys said, wait a minute. God can give us this? Look all that he's done to bring us to this point. You think he's going to leave us stranded? But those two guys and their lone voices were not listened to. And so that whole generation died off except for these two guys. Joshua and Caleb. Now they come back to the, to the threshold of the promised land. And this time, after that generation dies off, they go in and they possess it. And after the initial... Um, uh, battles that were engaged in to secure that territory, Joshua begins to parcel out the, the land of the tribe of, uh, tribes of Israel and, and the individuals uh, within those tribes. Caleb shows up at that table or whatever office, whatever it was where Joshua was doing this work, and Caleb says to him, I'm here for God's promise. Because you remember, Joshua, God told you and me that our whole generation would die off. You and I are the only ones remaining. He's 80 years old now, 80 years old. He said, you remember, Joshua, God told us that he would give us the land we spied out all those years ago. I'm here to get it. And then I don't know if this is, I don't know if this was true, but I know he thought it was true. He said, and I'm just as strong today as I was then, 40 years ago. He says, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Give me the toughest place there is. Send me to the place where the giants still live. I'm 80 years old, but I am ready for battle. Man, I, I, 
I want the pattern of my life to be so in keeping with how God made me that when I reach, and I'm already there, I just turned 60 a week ago or so. I don't even want to remember it. That's why I said or so, because I can't rem- I don't want to remember <laughs> when it was. But I, I want that to be my heart. Yeah. And we have a promise from God that he will bless us as we honor the Sabbath. Is that easy? No. No. I'm living proof of that. But as I said earlier, it really boils down to a choice, a choice that I and you need to make. We're going to have to help each other. Husbands, you're going to have to help your wives. Wives, you're going to have to help your, your husbands. Friends, you're going to need to help each other. We're going to have to work together if we're going to do this. But God will help us. This is recording number 11157 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 19, 2015. This is the 10th message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Renewal. 